let's assume for a second that someone came up to you and told you that you need to go on a journey. And you have to go on this journey. But then you're told that you're going to take this journey, but this journey that you're about to take is a very dangerous journey. That along this journey are going to be landmines, uh, explosives, and pitfalls, and uh, quicksand. Just imagine that, that, that somebody told you you're going to take this journey and that it's going to be very perilous, very dangerous, and that, that all of these things that are on, all these traps that are meant to destroy you are actually hidden. You won't be able to see them. They won't be obvious to you. But after hearing this difficult news about this journey that you're going to have to take, the person speaking to you, they, uh, they hand you a map. And, and on this map, he tells you, he says that here is the direction you're going to go. And here are all of the traps and pitfalls and landmines and explosives. They're all pointed out on the map. There's a legend on the bottom. It tells you exactly where all of these dangers are for you on this journey. You're going on the journey, and he hands you the map, and he shows you where all the dangers are. And he says to you that if, if you don't follow the map, that those dangers on the map, they will destroy you. They will kill you. They will hurt you. Now the question is, you're going to take this journey and you've been handed a map with this information. How do you think you will treat the map? Will you, will you, you look at it, you know, occasionally? Will you just, maybe, maybe you'll just, you'll just ball it, just do like this. Or maybe, maybe you'll, you'll do this. And maybe in about two weeks time, you might, you might. Pull it out again. Hold on. What did it say again? How will you treat the map that your life depends on? What will definitely happen, and you would all agree, what would definitely happen is that this map would now become the most precious thing to you. You will study the map. You will look at the map. You will memorize the map. And every single day, you will look at that map to be reminded of where those dangers and those traps are. Amen? It will become the most precious thing to you. The truth is that we're all on a journey called life. We all take this journey. And on this journey, there are dangers. There are pits, there are landmines, there are traps all designed to keep you from completing the journey. 
And God has given you a map. He has given you his word. His very word designed to reveal to you all the dangers, all the pitfalls, all of the landmines that wouldn't be obvious to you otherwise. He has revealed to you exactly what you need to be aware of. And so what you do with the map will determine how you do on the journey. What you do with God's word is everything. Amen? It is everything. And I pray and I hope that that idea, that illustration is illuminated in your way, in your life, in such a way that you are reminded of the importance of God's word in your life. This cannot be a Sunday morning ritual of reading a few words on a page. Cannot be. If you are a believer in Christ, you have believed in faith what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. If you are a believer in Christ, you say, I put my faith in Jesus, I'm saved. Because you know what happens very often on Sundays, I'm going to do a salvation. I'm going to do it again. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want you to become a Christian. There's not really any hiding that. Amen? We want you to become a Christian. We want you to be saved. God wants to save your life. He offers the gift of salvation. And that is salvation from death, hell, and the grave. And He offers you eternal life. Okay, I'll get there in a second. But very often, we do that sinner's prayer And most of you in the room today would say, no, I'm pretty good with God. I am saved. But how are you with the Bible? See, I can't judge you. I can't look at your life. I'm not holding your hand in the morning or in the evening or whatever throughout your day. You have to ask yourself, what are you doing with God's word? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? Is it a power in your life or have you neglected it? I would argue that some of you have fallen into pitfalls and traps in your life. And I would say most likely it is because you have not valued the promises that God gives in his word. I want to speak to you today about the importance of seeing and savoring this map, his word, in a way that builds your faith for the journey. There is power and wisdom in his word to help us navigate his life. So we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 today. 2 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can open there with me. And we're talking about going all in with Christ, not a half-hearted, you know, just um, maybe I'll do that, it's convenient, I want my best life now, I want to be a better person. No, we're not talking about moralistic Christian atheism where I call myself a Christian because it's the right thing to do or because that's what my parents were. No, we're going all in. We're taking that next step with Christ to go all in with him. Amen? To be fully committed to Christ in all that we do and all that we are. 
So much so that it's not just a thing we did on a Sunday or a baptism we had three years ago, but it's something that is evident in our lives that when worldly people or non-Christians see us, they would see that something is different about us because we believe in God and we have a form of godliness the way the Bible says, that our lives would show that we believe in God. Amen? And that we're Christ followers. We're not, uh, we're not closet Christians, right? We're not secret agent Christians. I'm over here. I'm a secret agent Christian. And nobody knows about me, but I'm about to show them that I'm a Christian. Yeah, because I'm over here and nobody can see me. But uh, I just don't want anybody to be uh, offended by my life. That's not how we live out our lives, amen? We live out our lives to display the glory of God to testify to the things that God has done in our lives. Amen? And so 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter has written this letter, and he is now talking, in in the first book, he kind of talks to the outsiders, those Jews, those ones who may have been outside of the church, and now he's talking to those inside the church. And it's so amazing how Peter just relates to the people he is speaking to in this letter. So I want to I wanna just show you this, and, 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 and hopefully today our faith would grow. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You guys remember who servant, who, sorry, Simon Peter was? You guys remember he was the apostle, one of the twelve disciples considered to be the leader of the apostles the leader of the 12 disciples the one who was brash and kind of crazy and would just say things and was pretty tough and and he said some things during Jesus ministry but Jesus said on this rock I will build my church the apostle Peter was a a great great man and we look to him for guidance amen and these are his words he says a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained. Who's to those? Who do you think that is? Everybody take your thumb. I like to do this because it's a good reminder. Take your thumb. Stick, stick your thumb up like this. Go like this. And point like this. It's me. To those. That's me. You can nudge your neighbor. That's you too. That's fine. Okay. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all start out as sinners, amen? Who's the biggest sinner in the room? Oh, (laughs) Uh, you want to bet? No, (laughs) I would be that one. There's no one who starts like, you know, I'm a worse sinner than you are. In God's eyes, we are all sinners. And the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. Amen? So you could be like Mother Teresa. She was so amazing. Yeah. Sinner. Amen? Like, think about the great people. Look at that pastor. Oh, my gosh. He's so wonderful and so wow, look at his white hair. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, 
Wow. <laughs> Pastor Avellino, godly man, started out like all of us. And just like the apostle Peter, all of us are sinners. Amen? All of us. All of us start off in the same place. And, and it's, it's amazing to see how even though Peter does have authority and position and title, he bends over backward to meet us as brothers and sisters in Christ to serve us. He doesn't want to lord his position over us. And so we, we've got to remember that, that we are servants. Amen? We are servants, and that's what Peter does. He says, I'm a servant to you. And I just want to say, I think this is an encouragement to any of you that are new in the faith. You are not less worthy or less important in the family of God because you're new to any of this. And no other Christian should make you feel insignificant for whatever reason. Oh, I've been in, I've been in the Lord. I've been going to church for 25 years. Doesn't make that person more important than you if you're new in Christ. You are not less worthy than anyone else. You are just as important in the family of God. Each of us had a debt that was owed and paid by the blood of Christ. Jesus didn't shed more blood for me than he did for you. Amen? He shed his blood for all of us. And so we're, and the Bible says, and Paul, Paul says in Ephesians, who can boast about this? No one can boast. None of us have earned it. None of us have earned salvation. None of us have done something, amen, to get and earn our salvation. We all are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? And so verse 2 says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know what's so funny about this? Is that, is that when we read the Bible, we just kind of like push to the meaty verses. We don't really spend a lot of time in the first two, letter, you know, the first two sentences, the first two verses, which are kind of like intro. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here, and I'm here to serve you, and I pray that God... But there's so there's such such a good nugget to eat, amen. This is like, look at what he's saying. He says, "May grace and peace be multiplied to you." Anybody want grace and peace multiplied in your life? Come on, anybody want grace and peace multiplied in your life? He says he wants it multiplied. Well, how does that happen? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. This is not just a mere introductory formula. It is a statement, a statement of what Peter really wants to see happen in this letter. He pictures grace and peace. That's something that comes from God. They are not ours by nature or by right, they come to us from outside ourselves. And Peter wants us as believers to have grace and peace in full measure, full of grace and peace. And he says the most important thing to notice in verse 2 is that God's grace and peace are multiplied in or through the knowledge of God. You see that? You're looking at that verse? 
multiply to you in the knowledge of God. He's now, he's now just exposing one of his deepest convictions. And that is that knowing God is the means by which grace and peace become large and powerful in our lives. Knowing God. If you want to enjoy God's peace and be an extension of his grace to the world, guess what? Your knowledge of who God is must grow. Must grow. Has to grow. We got to get to know God better. Amen? We got to know him more. We've got to know God more in our lives. And we've got to put that effort into knowing him. Amen? It doesn't happen magically. Amen? We've got to put in the effort of knowing him on a daily basis in our lives if we're to experience this grace and peace that he offers. And so that's why I would submit to you, this is why it's so important to study Scripture. Because through the Word comes the knowledge of God. Did you know that? So, well, I want to know God more. How do you know God more? you got to get to know Him by reading His Word. So, so let's, let's put the chain links together. Amen? I want grace and peace. How do you have grace and peace? I got to know God more. How do I know God more? I read his word. If I read his word, amen, I'll have grace. I'll get to know him more and then I'll have grace and peace. Amen. And so in the next few verses, Peter builds on this connection between knowledge of God and the power of grace. Verse three says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us what? All things. Not a few, not a couple, not a thousand, not 10,000. All things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge. Through the knowledge of God who called us to his own glory and excellence. So what is, what is Paul? I know we're diving in here. We're like school students, amen? We're, we're studying the word. Got to put our thinking caps on. He says... Divine power has been granted to us all things that pertain to. So here's what he wants for us. Eternal life and godliness. Amen? You see that, right? No mystery here. Life, eternal life and godliness. What is godliness? What is godliness? This is the transformation that God does in our life. Amen? That is the, what we call sanctification. That is the life change that is happening in our life where godliness, we become to look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And our attitude, and our character, and our morality, and who we are, in our actions, and how we talk, and how we dress, all of these things, right? That's godliness. And, he's, and Peter is saying, man, this is so important. I want you to have eternal life, and I want you to have godliness. 
And he says this in a way that I think is just astounding because that's the goal for all of us. But both of these things, they go together. They go together. You can't have one without the other. Some people, some people, and this is what Peter talks about in the second chapter. He says some people are in the church and they have a form of godliness, but they don't have eternal life. It looks like they're godly, but their hearts are far from the Lord. Jesus said the same thing. Their hearts are from, far from me. They don't know me. And Peter is saying, I want you to have both. I want you to have eternal life and godliness. There are some Christians who have eternal life. But their life would not reflect godliness. So now the question is, do they really have eternal life? And he says they go together. If you are saved, you will change. If you, are tr- if you truly have eternal life, your life will change. They go together. You cannot have one without the other. The requirement for salvation is repentance. That means we, we, we repent of our sins, turn away from our old life to pursue God, to follow God, to follow Jesus. And we cannot do that if, we're, if we are unwilling to repent of our sin, if we're going to continue holding on to the enemy's plan, for, to the enemy's temptations, to our pleasures and our sinful nature. If we hold on to that and we haven't repented, we cannot have eternal life we must repent of our sins peter was the one who said this most loudest in acts when he preached that first sermon they said what must we do to be said saved he said what repent he said repent and he's making us aware that we need to have eternal life and godliness I really want to stress this. I think this is so important. That it is God's power that changes us. It is God's power. Because some, friends, I'm just going to tell you, some, some, some come to saving faith, and what they do is they, they think, well, if I'll just start coming to church, if I'll just get baptized, if I'll just stop cussing, if I'll just stop drinking, if I'll just stop hanging around with that person, if I'll finally break up with that guy, break up with that girl, if I'll just, if I'll just do those things, then, then, I, then I'll, uh, when I do that, then I'll come to the Lord so that I can be saved. Godliness is a byproduct of real salvation. That if you want to experience godliness in your life, you need to experience the new birth. You need to experience salvation. And when you do that, you will begin to see the effects of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, operating in your life. And so the Christian faith 
is not merely a set of doctrines to be accepted. It is a power to be experienced. Amen? You know, if you ever ask anybody, you know, um, hey, do you know the Lord? And they start telling you about the Lord. You say, do you, hey, do, what, do you know about God? Yeah, I know about Jesus. He died on the, I remember this. I was a little kid, and we were, uh, I was probably 13, 14 years old, and my mom dropped us off at the movie theater in Pearland. I don't know why she did this. I would never do this with my kids, but it was a different time. And uh, so, Jacob, don't ask, because you're not going to. So, drop us off at the movie theater, and we wouldn't go to the movies. We would, like, get... Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Everybody's perfect. Okay. Drop us off at the movie theater. We wouldn't go to the movies. We would, like, go run around the neighborhood in the back, right? It's late at night, and we're just acting crazy and stuff like that. But I remember we were hanging out on one of the, on, like, the, kind of, like, the end of the parking lot, and we were uh, being crazy. And uh, this lady came, walked by, she was on her bike, and she rode by us, and she stopped, and she looked at all of us, and she goes, do you guys know that Jesus is coming back again soon? And I'm like, here, I grew up in church, right? And I'm like, I just didn't say nothing. I kind of like walked back here, secret agent Christian right here. You know, I don't want my friends to know that I was a Christian, and, and so, <laughs> well, then I had a buddy of mine uh, that was in the group, I had no idea he was, he went to church or was a Christian or anything, you know. Man, he started telling her about, about the 144,000 and the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of Jesus Christ and all he's done to save us. And I'm like, dude, you're a Christian? I didn't even know you were a Christian. Like, all right, yes, we're friends, you know. We'll be secret agents together. I think there's something to be said about knowing things about God, right? There's, I know about God. I know things about him. I know what Jesus did on the cross and how he was, you know, he rose again and he's coming back again. And, but you know that believing things about God won't save anyone? You know who the most orthodox believers are under heaven? The demons. They know all about God. But it is not this knowledge about God that saves us. It is a divine power that saves us. It is divine grace that saves us. Not a knowledge of just some facts If the power of God does not flow into your life so that God changes you and makes you more like him, you do not belong to him. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Very clear scripture, beautiful chapter. I love Romans chapter 8. One day we're going to go through this whole book of Romans. But Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. Okay, so what would you take as the opposite in that verse? The, 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 the uh, reverse of that statement. So if for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, 
who are, if you are not led by the Spirit of God, are you a son of God? Can't be. Verse, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not what God has given us. He has not given us a spirit of slavery where we'll be in, live in fear. He says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, Andrew, I don't even know if I'm saved right now. The Spirit himself will bear witness with your spirit that you are his child. And so if you have a problem with that verse, you've got to do some reckoning. Some reckoning. You have to recognize, amen, that you have something you need to address in your heart. Something is going on. The mark of being a child of God is the Father's power operating in your life. In Romans, if you go back a few verses, this is what he says about the mind. Because where does knowledge happen? Where does knowledge happen? Angie? In the mind. Amen. The knowledge happens here. Amen? And, 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 really, and really, if you look at the outflow of your life, most often what is coming into your mind is coming out in your life. Amen? So look at what he says, Romans 8 again, but go up to verse 5, Romans 8, 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. So what have you been setting your mind on lately? What have you been setting your mind on? And this is, listen, setting your mind on sports, let's just, let's just pretend. Sports is not godly or ungodly. It's just a thing, right? It can be godly. It can be ungodly. But most often we're rooting, you know, watching the Astros. Okay, no problem. Not really godly, not really ungodly. But it's not a thing of the Spirit. What we're talking about here is, is intentionally setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Amen? So you can go through your day. You can go to work, right? I mean, you're, you're punching numbers, you're typing away, sending that email. Not godly, not ungodly, not really the sinful nature, but really not things of the Spirit either. So we've got to find avenues and openings in our life, in our day-to-day, to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Or else, what will happen is, you will wake up, and you will take a shower, and you will brush your teeth, and you will get dressed, and you will eat breakfast, and you will drive to work, And you will do your work, and you will take a lunch, then you'll finish your work, and then after work, you'll go pick up the kids from school, and then you will go home, and then you will clean, and then you will make dinner, and then you will clean some more, 
And then you'll watch that one last episode of that show on Netflix that's been, you just want to know what the ending is, and then you'll fall asleep. And guess what you didn't do all day long? You didn't set your mind on the Spirit. I'm preaching today, amen? Paul knows that your life is often a reflection of the thoughts that you think. And what comes into your mind comes out in your life. And so how is that power experienced? How, how, how does it become active in our life? Look at that last part of verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of him who what? Called us. He called us. He called us. I just, I'm just telling you, man, like, we've got to, this is not just, you know, information. I mean, this is, God has called, okay, imagine you are a prisoner of war in a concentration camp. Everybody do this with me real quick. Hands on the bars. You've got hands on the bars. Come on, get your hands out like this. Hands on the bars now. Hands on the bars. Okay. You are in that prison camp, right? Prisoner of war, and you've been suffering, you've been tortured, you've been beaten, you've been hungry, you've been isolated, and you are in a bad place, and you've been there so long that now your, your morality, your values, they're fleeting, all hope is gone, you're full of despair. I'm never going to get out of here. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this torturous place, in this dirt, in this filth, hungry. I'll never get out. But then you learn that a prisoner exchange, keep your hands on the bars. Don't, don't, my illustration is very important. Everybody, you can put them on your knees like this if you want. I'm with you in spirit, Andrew. All right. (laughs) But you learn as you're in this this concentration camp that a prisoner exchange is is starting to take place. And you hear from the other prisoners, the guard is coming. And he's going to call out some of us for the prisoner exchange. He's coming. And whoever he points to is going to be set free. Hands on the bars. Hands on the bars. He's coming and he's going to call you out to freedom. What do you think would happen in your life and in your heart and in your faith if you knew that if he just points to you, you will be set free from that concentration camp and that prison. What do you think will happen? Your life, your heart, your faith will be surging with hope that you are about to be set free. And guess what that is? That's called power. That's called power to know, oh my gosh, here we go. I'm about to be set free. I'm about to be released. Hey, Tommy, you're out. Hey, Johnny, you're out. You're out. Serena, you're out. Hey, so that'll, you're out. You're out. Get out of there. You're coming home. You're out. You're free. 
That's hope. That's power. And that's what he's talking about. God has set us free. He's called us out of darkness. He's called us from death. And when we realize that, when we grow in our knowledge, it creates power to live the life that he has called us to live. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Grace is not a mere deposit to be ignored. It is a power that leads to godliness and eternal life. Last verse, and I wanted to go all the way through verse 11, but it didn't happen. Verse 4, by which, everybody got it? We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, by which... He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. How many of you know that God's promises for you are great and precious? You know that? Amen. How many of you are experiencing his great promises in your life? Amen. He says he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, so that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. The promises of God liberate us from corruption and sin and remind us that we have access to God's divine nature. Nature. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is good. That's the key. We start with knowledge. We build our knowledge of who God is. But they cannot just be words on a page. We've got to now trust in those promises that He gives. Amen? Got to trust in them. And so very practical. You guys want me to get very practical? I'm going to get very practical with you here. I'm like, man, Andrew, you're preaching good. You know, you got knowledge of God. I believe in that. It's a good example. Hands on the bars. I'll remember that. But what do you do in your day-to-day? Like, what does it practically look like? You want, that would be helpful. Amen? Right? Like how, okay, Andrew, I agree. I want that in my life. I want to overcome sin. Yes, my I've had a lot of corrupting, tempted, tempted thoughts. I want to do things my own way. I stop trusting in God. I, I just want something for my day to day. So I want to help you. What we're going to do is we're going to go to God's Word. All right? When you are struggling in some area of your life, and Sunday is like, it feels like it's Christmas. It's so far away, right? Like on a Monday, you just, you can't come to church, you know. And it's, you want to just come to church, but you know, it's, it's, it's a week away. And, okay, I am struggling in this area of my life. You know, I don't know what it is. It, it faith finances, relationship, 
trial, pain, you feel lonely, you feel anxious, you feel stressed out. Maybe some of you are dealing with real sins in your life where you're being overcome by, by sins and tempted in a way that you can't overcome them due to lustful thoughts. Listen, I, I want to tell you that, that we have to learn to activate the Word of God in our life. If you are, if you are struggling, what I'm going to tell you and give you the secret to defeating the enemy in your life is to make the Word of God what it says it is, a double-edged sword. That, that you begin to attack the enemy and take the offensive in your life where you begin to attack the, the enemy. And so I want to show you what that looks like, okay? You can't just read a scripture and walk away, all right? But let's just pretend, and maybe some of you here, this is going to be not just a pre pretend, but this is going to be real for you, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at Matthew 11 really quick. Maybe some of you are feeling like, like I have felt recently. If you go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, maybe some of you are feeling that overwhelmed and under pressure. Anybody ever feel like that before? You feel overwhelmed with the things of life? You can be honest. Anybody ever feel overwhelmed? Lots of things going on around you, trying to make some decisions. Just like, man, I don't know what to do next. A lot of stress. My goodness, I need to make some decisions. Career change choices, be laid off. I mean, I don't know. We just feel like, man, I got to take care of things in the house. I got to take care of the bills. You know, somebody rear-ended me. Like, all kinds of things, right? And I've been in there. I've been in that where it's just like, man, I have, I have church responsibilities and family responsibilities and, and work responsibilities. And I feel, feel the pressure. If we're going to do this, right, we've got to go into battle every day right? Making his promises at the forefront of our minds. Amen? We've got to get his promises and we've got to lock into his promises so that throughout the day we are battling, right, the enemy. We're not going to succumb to the enemy by just, you know, brute force. We're going, we're going, to, we're going to fight the way God has designed us to fight. And so whatever it takes to help you keep God's promise at the forefront of, the, of our mind, we're going to go to God's word and we're going to find a promise or a verse that really helps us in our fight. I don't know what it is for you, but I guarantee you there's a verse somewhere for you, whatever you're struggling with. And so when you're struggling, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go find that verse that I believe. I'm going to search the scriptures. I'm going to Google some things. I'm going to reach out to one of the pastors and say, hey, I'm struggling. Do you have any verses that would help me with this? Man, I'm going to find that Bible story. I'm going to find that testimony of Peter or Paul. Or I'm going to look in the Word, and I'm going to find something that's going to help me in my fight. Amen? You tracking with me? And, and when I find that promise, I'm not just going to read it and then just be done with it. I'm going to keep that verse at the forefront of my mind somehow, some way. Could be through a song. Could be through memorizing it. Could be through making, it that, making that verse the wallpaper on your phone. Could be a sticky note on your computer screen. A sticky note on the mirror. So, you know, you could take a washable marker and write that verse on your mirror at home. 
All right, you're going to do something to make that verse, that promise of God, prevalent in your life at the forefront of your mind to remind you. Because I want to tell you that the battle against sin is fought on the field of our desires and our passions. And what sin does, it, uh, it's going to attack us by holding out these false promises for our happiness. Right? If you lie on your income tax, that's going to make you more money and you'll be happier. This is how sin works. If you divorce your spouse, you'll be happier. If you get angry and yell at someone, you'll be happier. If you don't upset your relationship with your neighbor by sharing Christ, you'll be happier. Always a false promise of happiness, and that's what sin does. And so what we want to do is we want God's promises to resound in our hearts and our minds. So maybe some of you are feeling overwhelmed, under pressure. Look at what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 